A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, head eyebrow and eyelid drooping and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Welcome to another episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Today I have not one, but two guests. And I'm really thrilled because I love them together. They are Pixie Woo, they are sisters, they are Sam and Nick. Hi. Hi. Thanks for Thanks having, having us. us. Not at all. Thanks for coming on. Our pleasure. So that you can work out who's who, Nick, talk. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Sam, talk. I've got a little bit of a deeper voice. <laughs> there we have go. You? Yeah, I'm a oh. bit deeper than you. Do you think? You're a bit louder. I am louder. Sorry. <laughs> I could have done one, but two together. There might be an argument. There could be. <laughs> you never know. But also, I think it's that sibling thing of going through and having both had kids. And, and, and for me, having kids has brought me much closer to my brother and my sister. Oh, definitely. Nick and I didn't get on before I had kids. So my, my oldest daughter is nearly 14 now, and that's when we started getting on, isn't it? It is, yeah, because you needed me. Absolutely. We couldn't even be in the same county, let alone the same room, and now we get on really well because we both have kids. Lily what was it about together. having Lily then that you think brought you together? I really needed help. Yeah. She needed you know, I was desperate. That's the truth. Really? I was desperate. Anyone, like, anyone. Just anyone, please. But there's that for me, like with Mario and Georgie, I feel like everyone else, especially first time, I wanted them to think that I was amazing, that I was super mum. And then whenever they came over, I'd be like, ah, what am I doing? <laughs> exactly that. I was so broken. I thought it would be really easy. And then you get this baby and you're like, I don't know how to bath you. I don't know how many blankets to put on you. I have no clue. And I remember I probably stayed at home. I was living in London. I stayed at home for about a week. And then I just legged it to my mum's in Norfolk and was like, Mum, just help me. Please just help me. And I couldn't have done any of it without her, to be honest. Really? Or Nick. Yeah. So supportive. Oh, yeah. When you had Ollie, I took time off work to come and be with her for a couple of weeks because she already had Lily. And it's just difficult. Yeah. Just need someone so you can have a little sleep or a little rest or just to do the washing just to cook the dinner. It's those simple things, but I think it, when it's a sibling that does it, it doesn't feel like it's a massive thing that someone's doing it for you. Totally. Because you can be mean to them. 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You can say, no, 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 don't do it like that. And also you can show your vulnerability, yeah. Yeah. which you probably find more difficult with other people because you're like, I just want to come across like I know what I'm doing. But no I didn't does. I didn't have a clue. I mean, I was just 27 when I had Lily and that was pretty young. You know, I mean, my mum had me at 20, but it was a different time yeah. then. And But being in London, that was quite young for all my friends. Still, mm-hmm. a lot of my friends haven't had kids and we're in our 40s now. Yeah. So it was really quite a shock. Because I'd gone into, like, from being this single person that didn't have to think about anything to being mm. a parent. Right. And I had to do all that stuff. And still all my mates were very free and very single and living their lives. And it was just hard. Really, really hard. Were you single when you had Lily? No, or? I wasn't. I was with her dad. Um, we still got on really well. Yeah. But it certainly wasn't easy because I was a freelance makeup artist. So how do you sort out childcare when you mm-hmm. don't know what days are going to work? It was really incredibly hard. And as you know, childcare is really expensive. Mm-hmm. So I would, I actually got a child minder because it was the cheapest way I could. And I would just book Lily in for like three days and then try and arrange work around it. It was really hard. What was the hardest thing about having, having Lily? I think, if I'm really, really honest, the hardest thing was losing my identity because I wasn't... No, what? You cut all your hair off, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I did. Did you? Yeah, I did that. I did that <laughs> fatal error of like. How much hair are we talking? I'm talking. I had really long hair. Now, when I when I got pregnant with Lily, I thought, brilliant. This is a great chance to eat as much cheesecake as I want. So I ate cheesecake back to back, like solidly. So I put on a lot of weight, not not a small amount. And Jim and John started calling me Samzilla. Like I was enormous. That's and then supportive. of course, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> so then when I had Lily, I was still a fair size, mm. but I felt like I'd lost my identity. So what's the first thing you do? You get a haircut. So I had this awful short crop. So I was just really Proper enormous short. with short hair. Yeah. It was probably the worst thing I could have done. Right. But I'm really glad I did it. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. a funny story. Yeah. What about you, Nick? You know, I dyed my hair blonde. Oh, did you? Straight after having. Harry, I think, because I couldn't do anything to my hair. So I was like, I need something. I need to not be just the mum. Yeah. I need my identity back. So I um, bleached all my hair. <laughs> was it hard seeing Sam at that vulnerable stage of having had Lily? I don't think it was hard because I've always seen that side of my sister. Mm. So it was just like, OK, this is not a time to joke. This is a time to step up and help. Yeah. Whereas quite often we would quite have banter with each other and and wind each other up I was like okay she actually needs my help yeah so I actually have to be the sister that's like don't worry I got it you carry on you bond I'll do this do you know what I mean it took me an incredible amount of time to bond with Lily in fact I don't know if it didn't take me months and months and months really yeah I had quite a traumatic birth and it was just hard to connect afterwards the same with Harry but I mean I absolutely Love, love, love my kids now. Of course. You always feel like you have to add that in, yeah, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's obvious but you love you your kids. you know what? But... That's come up time and time again, yeah. this bond thing. And I think because there is such a big expectation, we're all told, oh, that moment where you meet your baby, you're just flooded totally. with love and it's the most amazing thing ever. Your life has changed and it has changed. But for me as well, I was like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. I've just, I've just met him. What is Absolutely. going on? Absolutely. Yeah. You know? I didn't feel that connection. When I first saw my baby, I was like, oh, my God, it's here. What do I do? It was more fear than anything. It took me a really long time to go, oh, yeah, I get it. I felt like I had to learn to love. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah. I was given Harry and I was like, cool, does someone else want to hold him? <laughs> like, what do I do? Yeah. But I even remember waking up in the night and breastfeeding, which he couldn't even latch on. I have 
big boobs anyway, you'd think, God, they're made for this job. <laughs> no, they didn't work at all. And I'd get up in the night with him and he'd latch on, which is so painful when mm. they first do it. And I was like, oh, God. And I thought, I'm just feeding this child. He's just waking me up and I don't feel anything. Mm. I feel nothing. I'm just going through the motions. And then I stopped breastfeeding. Really? I stopped breastfeeding and instantly that stopped. I loved him. It was the weirdest thing. And I did the same with my daughter and I stopped breastfeeding. It was like every time they latched on, I felt an overwhelming depression. I thought, oh, this is something natural. It should. And my daughter was really quick to latch on. She was fine. But it made me boil inside. I felt so depressed every single time that even my husband said to me, I think you need to stop mm. breastfeeding. You know, you're not going to win an award for it. You don't have to do it. Stop. Yeah. And I did, and that was fine. I don't think people talk about that very often because we're always told, oh, this bond that comes yeah. with feeding. Like, they look at you. No, they don't. They've got their eyes shut most of the time. Yeah, or they're looking at the boob. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's exactly that. And I think for us, when any of our friends get pregnant the first time or whatever, we say, here's a few extra things. If you feel this, you know, you might not, but mm. if you feel like it's kind of hard to bond, that's perfectly normal. Yep. If you feel like this, it's perfectly normal. We don't scare them, obviously, mm. but I think it's also really important to say it's not all this perfect because I had no idea when I had my kid. I just felt like an absolute failure. I was like, no one feels like this. I just don't like my child. But that's normal. why I started sharing online. That's mm. why I ended up writing the book and why this podcast has come about. Because I do think there's that whole, especially when Instagram first started, and there's this whole, this is perfect. a perfect family, guys. And actually, anything that deviates from that, you do feel like a failure. Totally. You feel like you're being judged. You feel like you're getting it wrong. And it's so overwhelming. And you, you just get into a spiral then. And you can't get out of it. Totally. No one told me that Ian and I would argue like crazy when we brought the baby home. No one warned me. And maybe it didn't happen for everyone, but every single thing. Obviously, I had so many hormones going mm. on. We hadn't slept much. We argued so much. And everything I did with Harry, I had to run past someone else. Well, this is interesting because I watched a video of you talking about baby yeah. blues. And I've n honestly never heard anyone talk about it, where about a relationship and how this child belongs to both of you and you have to run it by the other person, what you're doing. But also the, what that does is it kind of makes you go, is this the right decision? I was running everything past Tom. Anyone actually, any other parent that was in there, you know, I was like, I don't understand these cries. Do you know what these cries mean? Not to Tom, to his friends who have kids and stuff. And I'm just so much self-doubt. Yeah, you question everything. And I think never have I owned something equally with someone, mm. ever. You know, you can have a car, you can have... doesn't matter. When it's a person and they put in just as much effort, you have to run everything past them. And that's one thing that I found really hard. Yeah. Being an independent woman, I found that hard. It's like, oh, do you want these sorts of nappies or do you think these ones? That I found hard because I'd just go, well, I'm going this. But having to think about someone else's opinion in such an important thing mm -hmm. is a whole new challenge. Because I sometimes wondered whether I was doing it too much. I guess it's just each couple or each like, family's different. Totally. What works for you might not work for others. And I think that's the thing, especially when, you, when you've had a child and you've been through it, you want to tell your story. Everyone's story is different. Yeah. And everyone's story is just as important. Mm -hmm. And something that was brilliant for you may not be. And we should never try and say, you need to do it this yeah. way. 
this is the right this way. This is the way. Yeah. No, that's your way. Don't you think, though, part of that is because people go through so much so they feel, like, quite defensive over what they've decided to do. So they feel like that's got to be the right way so then they try and push it on other people. Totally. There's just so many opinions, isn't there? Yeah. Everyone has an opinion on something and it's just easier to, to keep it to yourself. With my kids, I've almost let them... I mean, obviously, I'm their parent and I do discipline them, but I almost have let them... Like, from a young age, Olivia has always chosen what she wore. If she wanted to wear 15 pairs of pants, she could wear them. Mm. If she wanted to put a skirt on that didn't match her top, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Because she's not my trophy. Yeah. I just want her to learn to be independent and to learn to express herself creatively, mm-hmm. whatever that might be. So, in a lot of ways, I've done that with both my kids, just kind of let them be their own people and sort of taken their lead with who they are as to how I then parent them because they're so different I can't do the same job on both of them they're completely (laughs) the opposite and you find that a lot when you have two because the eldest one will carve their own path and then the second one will come along and they'll have to find their own path that doesn't cross in the same place as the eldest one Mm. because otherwise you're always in competition yeah they tend to be the opposite like I, I was always really good at art and Nick was then really really good at sport and sport was her thing and that worked well for us mm. because we just do the opposite yeah. my kids are exactly the same what are yours like are they like that too so different yeah so different buzz is our emotional showman yeah and buddy is the wildlife explorer adventurer they, they yeah. find their way it's mm. so funny because you know we all have to fit into this pack that we've been born into otherwise you if you're not good at it you get left behind do you know what i mean well, it's also way? that girl boy thing as well yeah because we've got it at the moment because buddy's going around with pink nail varnish on his toes <laughs> Because I was doing mine and he was like, me, me. And he's so headstrong, buddy. You're just like, that's absolutely fine. Of course. And Tom posted it and there was obviously a backlash. At one, it was nail varnish. Two, it was pink. Harry always (laughs) chooses. If Edie's having her nails painted because she's a real princess, Harry's like, can I have some? Also, who decided pink was a girl's colour? Actually, you used to be a boy's colour. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it used to be a boy's boy's colour. It's just a colour. All colours are just colours. And what What are we scared of? Absolutely. What are we actually scared of? Actually, I went on holiday with my husband's family and his niece was questioning the kids at the dinner table and she was like, she's a bit older, so Mm. she thinks she's in charge. And she was like, Harry, do you think boys can marry boys? He's like, of course. Do you think boys can love boys? Of course they can. I love daddy. You know how, because he's six. He's, He's like innocent. Do you think that boys can wear nail varnish? He's like, yeah, I wear it. And I was inside, I was like, oh my God, I'm so proud and he said it was such confidence because to him what difference does it make Mm. and I love that I think well and she said to me afterwards I think you've brought him up well (laughs) how old is she she's uh 12 that's amazing (laughs) I was like oh oh, thanks thanks for letting me know that that means a lot but I was inside I was like (gasps) the proudest mum ever that he doesn't have an opinion on that. Mm. He thinks that everyone is the same. Oh, no, she also said, who earns the money? He went, mum and dad. And I was like, good boy. Yeah. Because for so long, it's always been dad goes out to work. Yeah, I loved it. I was like, oh, my God. The little things you do, they notice. Yeah. I also have that feeling at the moment about, so when we're doing interviews and stuff, if I get asked, so what's Tom like as a dad? Is he really hands-on? But if Tom was in an interview and you asked that about me... wow. Wouldn't that be wouldn't that be insulting? We Absolutely. get asked it all the time. Who has the kids when you're away? <clears throat> you know what? They do have a dad. They, you know, no one would ever ask. Yeah. That of if Ian was in an interview, who's got your kids? Never going to happen. 
It's but weird. I think for women, so much pressure has been put on to be the mum, now have a career, to do all of those things, to pack more in... But, you know, add in loads of guilt with that as well. Yes, Absolutely. You know, just so you can't ever feel satisfied. And then you've got to do bounce straight back after you've had a Yeah, job. bounce back. You, yeah, you back. feel guilty about everything, don't you? Yeah. You know, like, well, we work away a lot. And there's something to do with being a blogger where people don't feel like you should earn money from doing this thing that mm. you do. But you're also like, who would work this hard and spend essentially about four months of the year away from their kids without earning a really good amount of money. No one would choose to do that. No. Obviously, we earn money. We wouldn't do it otherwise. Mm. And providing yeah. for your family means very Absolutely. different things for, for everyone. It does, completely. But, you know, when you're away, you feel guilty that you're not being the best parent. When you're with your kids, you know that you've got emails to answer. So yeah. you're like, oh, my God, I'm still not being the best parent. I'm, not, I'm thinking about this other thing. When you're, when you're doing your emails, you've got kids running around. Yeah. You know, so you're, or the time that you're guilt. there at home, you're doing the washing or totally. like doing the washing up or whatever else. There's constant guilt. And actually, you know, one of the most liberating things for me, obviously I'm in a really fortunate position now because I work hard and I earn decent money from it, is that I can afford to pay for somebody to help me. Mm. So I have a nanny that works three days a week which has actually changed my life completely because it stopped me feeling so guilty. I used to feel, because me and the kid's dad aren't together anymore, mm -hmm. I used to feel very guilty about saying, Danny, can you have the kids on such and such a night? Because I felt that he would judge me that I was away for this amount of time. You right. know? And now I have this nanny, it's almost like a buffer. So I can just say, right, can you just do those days? Mm. And it's brilliant. It's really, really changed things. Also, she helps with washing. She does, I mean, this is my best thing. She orders all my shopping. Does she? Yeah. I need that. It's My amazing. nanny's gone and got pregnant. <laughs> but I think that a lot of people might feel, and I certainly felt that doing that and getting help would be a cop-out, mm. but I can't do everything. Well, I was yeah. talking to a female friend the other day and she said, I feel guilty or stupid every time I say I've got a nanny. Absolutely. She's like, but I can't physically do what I do unless I have that person. There. I feel so lucky that I can be in the situation to have somebody to help me. Mm. It's amazing. I think the good thing about working with your sister is that we reassure each other that we're all right. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing the right thing. I got a nanny first, actually, because I have MS. I was like, I need help. And my kids are my trigger quite often when they argue a lot and I can't get everything done, so I got help. Also, mm. even if you didn't have MS, Nick, yeah. you don't have to make that... You know, no. that do you see what I mean? But it's I just one of those things that mm. you automatically apologise for doing it. It's totally fine. But no, I still have her. What yeah. I mean is I have MS and I still have her when... I'm at home mm. because I just need to step away from it sometimes. Mm. And I said to Sam, you're trying to do everything and you're not doing anything well because you're constantly feeling the guilt. I was like, don't worry about it. Get some help. Don't feel bad about it. People can't do it all on their own. Well, and also there's that whole it takes a village to raise a child thing, you know. Yeah. Loads of people go to uni, they move away from home, you know, so you don't have that support network around you like we would have done maybe 50 years ago. Absolutely. And I think as well, you know, being somebody that is quite controlling of my career and because I've always worked for myself, having to accept that I couldn't do it all mm. and ask for help or pay for help or whatever felt like a failure. But I need it to the point where I nearly had a nervous breakdown last year just from trying to do too much. You yeah. can't. And at some point you're like, right, I've got to stop. Well, when it comes to like maternal mental health, yeah. that's a massive part of yeah. all that pressure that we put on ourselves. Absolutely. I mean, you had quite a bit of... Yeah, I had, a, uh, I had baby blues mm. after I had Harry. I was really, really down. So I did a video about it because I had to own it. Yeah. I knew something was going on. I knew I wasn't bonding. I knew Ian and I were arguing a lot. I knew I wasn't feeling the way I should. 
And then when I snapped out of it, and it took a long time, when I finally came around, I was like, I need to tell other people that this happens because they're the things that are going to help people. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't instantly love those sorts of things that you can feel sad but be completely happy at the mm -hmm. same time. But the other thing is saying, I didn't feel the way that I think I should is exactly our programming. Yeah. How yeah. should you feel? Yeah. Yeah. How should you feel? Because you're told that you should feel that way, but how many people actually do feel mm -hmm. that way? Because I didn't, you didn't, loads of people that we've discussed it with didn't. Yeah. So is everyone doing that? Because you know after you've had a baby, they say, right, you've got a few visits from your midwife, they're going to come to your house, and you're like, OK, tidy, yeah. tidy. Yeah. What should we wear? Should we make sure we look like we've got it under control? Because really, I don't have it under control. Everything is... Trying to put on because we think that they're going to take our baby away exactly straight away, and actually the health professionals that come and visit they're on your side. Yeah, they're she, totally on your side. She was like, I "How are you feeling? <laughs> How are you feeling?" And I'm yeah. like, "Really, really good. Love him like mad." Oh, Harry! Inside, I was thinking, "Jeez, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Am I holding him right? Do you know what I mean?" Do you think part of it as well is because we're always so focused on the labour? I think so, but I also think that we shouldn't underestimate the fact that we're British. And so being British does come with this kind of like repression of stiff upper lip and we can't show that our weaknesses and we can't yeah. ask for help. I mean, lots of other Europeans, you notice how different their culture is and how differently they, they deal with these kind of things. I put a lot of things down to being British. Really? Yeah. I didn't do. even think about labour the whole time. Because really? Because I had such a lovely pregnancy. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I'm just that person that's going to have a lovely labour. And then I had labour and then I was like... Ooh. It's interesting that you both had quite difficult births to start with. Well, my first one was obviously a long labour and then an emergency caesarean. Right. So for the second one, I just did the elective. Right. I said, look, you know, they want you to have a normal birth. And I said, well, look, if you can guarantee me that it will just be a normal birth, that's fine. But I don't want to do both again because mm. both really knackered me out. And they said, well, we can't really guarantee you that. And then I said, right, well, just elective. Mm. Um, we both yeah. had back to back as well, labour. So oh, really, yeah. Harry was back to back, and his head was wonky. I had fifty five hour labour, and then they were like, "Okay, maybe we need to actually get this baby out." So I had an episiotomy. They hurt. I was talking to so I, I um, had an episiotomy first time round, tore the second, tearing is so much nicer. Is really? It? Because and I was I've been talking to different people about it because your skin naturally obviously they stitch it but it knits back together whereas if it's sliced yeah. and it's a clean cut then that's really difficult to stitch back together and for it to knit. That's quite interesting. Really interesting. I I split even though I had an emergency cesarean. They were obviously trying with the vontus and mm. all of that other stuff. Mm to get her out that way and I split so I got stitches down there and a cesarean but I didn't notice the stitches down there yep. at all and I didn't notice that I'd split I had no mm -hmm. idea I think I would have noticed if I'd had an episiotomy oh my god honestly it was the worst thing I think so first time around I had an obstetrician second time around I, did, I went midwife led yeah and obstetricians for me they see labor as an issue as a problem something to work around okay <laughs> whereas with the midwife they kind of like trust exactly your body. what happened with me really the doctor came in at the end and I was doing the labour so well and then this is so weird and I'm sure this doesn't happen all the time but I heard her say I have to get a flight and the midwives were going no she's only got a couple more pushes and she's out she said no I'm doing an episiotomy and Ian heard it as well and she cut me and all the midwives were like no no and we saw them doing it and um then I had an episiotomy and it took me so long yeah. to get back. And every time I... Won, that's probably why I didn't bond as well with Harry because mm. 
I was so scared of everything, having a bath, sliding yourself into the bath, not being able to sit down. Mm. I cried every time I needed a number two. Mm -hmm. Every time I would cry my eyes out. And I was so constipated because of it. And I said to Ian, I'm so scared to go. I'm so scared to go crying whilst he's holding my hand while I'm trying to go to the toilet. And in the end, I got baby wipes and I pushed them against the scar. That's what I did. How yeah, funny hold it, those, hold yeah, it to hold it into place yeah. so that I could go to the oh, toilet. Oh, my yeah. goodness. It was, but it helps. It helped so much. Yeah. And it's forgotten. It's forgotten now. And I would do anything to get my baby out. But it was just then, when I with my second labour, I was so panicked about my first labour that I went and said to them, I'm so terrified. I would really like a elective C-section if I could. And they were like, we'll see, we'll see and they did all the scaremongering, as they have to, mm. then they went away and they said, no, we're not going to give you one because we think you could have a perfect normal labour. And I'd been to see someone to check whether I could and he said, you've got a, a really high chance of prolapsing because right. of it. And I had all this paperwork all documented and I said, well, I'm going to take this further. So they said, OK, come back tomorrow and we'll give you a doctor. It was the doctor. <laughs> The doctor that cut oh, me initially no. that came through. And I'm instantly like, oh, my God, I really dislike you. And then she said, no, we're not going to allow you to have one. And I said, OK, I have this paperwork. If anything goes wrong, I'm suing you. Because I had to fight for myself. And she said, OK, OK, don't be like that. We'll let you have one. I had to fight. I think That's now crazy, isn't it? they're Fighting much nicer. For the, for the birth and the labour that you want when it's your body. Yeah, I think they're much it's probably easier to get a C-section mm. now, but at the time I, when I was going, it was near on impossible. And I had a lovely time. Well, when, uh, when Louise Penton was on, she talks about a meet the midwife session, a meet the matron session. My friend's just done that. I find it amazing. So you can go and talk through all of your notes and tell you Stacey what happened. When you're going through it, your mind's everywhere. And it yeah. doesn't matter if your birth was six months ago, six years ago, yeah. 16 years ago, they will go through your notes and talk you through it. And for Louise, she was like, oh, it wasn't just yeah. me. It was a difficult birth. Yeah. How do you get that done? I, you mean, just I would have thought them. that all the midwives were like really busy, aren't they, understaffed? I had about seven different midwives because I was in for so long. Mm. But they have it all documented. My friend just had it done and she said it was amazing. It really made her feel better yeah. about it, it happening mm. again. So you understand it. I don't want to know what happened. <laughs> Really? Yeah, it was... I'm not having any more kids. I've got two, I feel very, very blessed, but every time I had a child, I would have, not necessarily because of this, but I have MS and it would cause a relapse. So for me, I wouldn't have any more kids because I want to stay healthy for the two that I have. Yeah. How was that, finding out that you have MS? All I thought about was my kids. When I found out, that was it. I cried myself to sleep for about three, four days, maybe longer, because... Our dad passed away from MS and all I knew was what it could do. You could be in a wheelchair, all this stuff. Because mine started with vision. I was so terrified I wouldn't see my kids get married. That's it. It was Mm. those things that flash before your eyes and you're like, oh, my God, I might not be there for that. I might not see that. What happened? So it really made me reevaluate life completely. And being a mum. Yeah. Changed so much. You know, eating healthy, living a healthier life. Actually things that stress me out, getting rid of those, trying to eradicate as much stress as possible because that's a big trigger for MS anyway. But it really, really did change everything for the better. Knowing something like that and having to own it made me better, a better person. Do you think it made you a better parent? 
I don't know what I would have been like otherwise. Yeah. But yeah, maybe. I don't know. Do you think so? I think anything like that makes you really just reevaluate, reevaluate yeah. the future. And yeah. I look forward a lot more than I ever used to. In terms of your kids' diets and things, it's definitely yeah. made you a good parent in that respect yeah. because MS could start in the gut, right? Yeah. Sorry, so it's you all... speak. I don't know. <laughs> you know, most most diseases start in the gut right. like that. So um, it's all about keeping a clean gut and making sure my kids eat non-processed foods and that they take vitamin D every day. I didn't realise that was something that had to be done. No. So it has made me really look at my kids and say, OK, you're not getting this. Mm-hmm. I got it. You're not getting it. And if they do, I'm beating it so you see it can be beaten. Because the thing with you MS is it's not actually hereditary. Is it not? It's not, well, it's not considered to be hereditary, although our dad has it. it, because not everyone gets it. So our and dad had it. Do you, can you three have screenings or anything to see whether it's... Normally it comes up when you're about 30, yeah, I think. Right. So we probably would have... But I would imagine that it lives in all of us equally, but Nick would have got some kind of illness or something that triggered, triggered it in her. Well, mine was childbirth. There you go. I know that because... Oh, this is getting very technical. But if you think about your DNA and where it lives, it's like a cassette tape. Two ends of the cassette tape can't ever be touched, but there's a little thread that goes through the middle. And when you are in stress or in trauma, your body has to grab something to help it through, and it grabs from that top of the cassette tape. So it will take away from that, and that's where my MS happened to be. Someone else's illness might not be in that. If you take things like vitamin D3, it coats that so it can't get through to it. It's all about basic DNA as well, but most diseases start in the gut. So I just make sure my kids are extremely, extremely healthy. Mm. You know, they don't miss out on treats, but we don't really give them processed Also, I guess you are setting them up. You know that you're setting them up to have a healthy... To enjoy those things later on in life. Yeah, exactly. They do get the odd McDonald's because I wouldn't deprive them of things... But very rarely they have to have veg at least four to five times a week. Yeah. You know, I just like them to have good stuff. Yeah. Which I think most parents would want anyway. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, Headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications including botulinum toxins as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. I usually start each episode of the podcast, this series anyway, asking people about their childhoods. I didn't want to start there with you guys today <laughs> because I know it's not... It's hard, isn't it? Because I think of your family yeah. and I see how close you are and how what a tight-knit bond you've all got and it's all brilliant and beautiful and lovely. But the reality is that actually childhood for you guys, it wasn't that no. beautiful. It no. wasn't. 
we grew up in a domestic violence household. Mum and Dad didn't actually split up until I was about 16. That was because Mum was too frightened to go and we were all too frightened to go. She was fairly convinced that if she did, he would find us all and kill us all. And I think that we all believed that. Mm-hmm. Was well, he, well, he didn't, he, to... didn't he sort of say things to that effect? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And he tried yeah. to run us off the road and things it, like that. When she, he'd see her in her car, he'd try and run it off the road and things and he kidnapped Jim. But Mum was amazing, you know, and we learned so many incredible things from her. We were talking about this the other day, about work ethic, because our dad was a career criminal, essentially, so he was always in and out of prison. But Mum would do whatever she had to do to feed us. She'd have... I remember having, like, three jobs. Dinner lady, cleaner, something else, working in a pub. She worked in Asda as well, didn't she? She worked in Asda. And we would go along with her, watch her do it. Because she didn't have childcare either. She couldn't afford childcare. She was completely on her own and she'd do whatever she had to do to feed us. She had zero qualms about whatever job it was. It just had to be done. So um, I think that we're really lucky in that respect. We got to see a lot of stuff that, although it wasn't always pretty, it did make us value a lot of stuff. Mm. Also made us extremely close. It's funny because a lot of my friends, with their siblings, they hug them and they kiss them and they cuddle them. You won't see that of us. Really? Yeah, we're not, not really. We're not really. The only time Sam and I hug is in a photo shoot and they're like, can you hug each other? And we're like, yeah, sure. Mm. Nice and stiff. Aye. Yeah, we're just, we're just <laughs> not that sort of family. But we look after each other and we have each other's backs more than I, you could even imagine. We are very, very, very close and the love is more than showing affection. Mm. It's like, yeah, I've got you, whatever. Growing up in that household, mm. has it made you look at your mum differently now that you are parents? Without a doubt. She is selfless. The Which most I actually selfless find person. a bit annoying. Yeah. <laughs> because you are allowed to have a life yeah. beyond your children. Yeah. You're allowed to enjoy yourself. You're allowed to buy yourself things. My mum has to get permission from all of us yeah. still now really? to buy herself something. It's bizarre. We saw this bracelet in London. She was like, Yeah, I really like it. She'd been looking for this silver bracelet for ages. I really like it, but it's quite a lot of money. And I was like, Don't buy it then, mum. Get yourself a lovely funeral. <laughs> then she was like, oh, OK. You know, I mean, we're quite ruthless with each yeah, other like that, yeah. but it's kind of hard to constantly say to her, Mum, it's fine, go and yeah. do it, it's fine, it's fine, you are allowed, now that we're all grown-ups. She was allowed back then, but the thing is, she had nothing, and she was so used to going without herself mm. to make sure that we were all fed. I think, particularly when the boys were young, she really had nothing. When, when I was born, Dad was in jail, and he, before he went to jail, he sold her car and all of her possessions. I don't know why she stayed with him. And well, she I do. She was scared. Yeah, she. but she loved him as well. She's so loyal and loved him. She had no heating, nothing. So luckily, my uncle came round and would pick her up and would take her grocery shopping and buy it all for her, bought her firewood for the fire because she didn't have any heating. Just, she will always put us first because we're everything to her. But I remember, like, the boys never really asked for anything because they knew mum had nothing and one time Jim I think said I need a pair of trainers I'd really like some Nike ones mum went give me a goal as I'll draw a tick on them <laughs> that was it you know that's that's the kind of thing you've got in our house don't be so ridiculous we were having this discussion because my son is hard work right and I'm like mum I just don't know what to do with him I am I spoiling him too much I just he's just so much and she went the boys never ask for anything I think you spoil him too much. I'm like, well, just so hard, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So that's why we were having the discussion about it. I think the other thing is when you grew up in that environment, 
there is the tendency to kind of overcompensate to make up for the fact that you didn't have that when you were a kid and so it's easy to do and you want them to have the things that you didn't have absolutely yeah. but it's really easy to ruin them a bit yeah really i feel is. like i'm on the verge of that with my son but you know i think obviously i have the eldest child of all of our kids so you do go through a spell of watching yourself you can see you've just said something and you can you watch their little brains trigger and you think they're remembering that yeah. They're literally, that, that's coming back up in a few years, I know. But now I'm at the stage with my girls where I get to see all the hard work I've put in pay off. Yeah. Like, I sort of interviewed my daughter, she's really into makeup, she's 14, and I interviewed her about what she thought of the brands. And one of the things that really came up was how much she cares about sustainability. And when I was 14, I didn't know what that was. I certainly wouldn't have cared about it. Mm. So I was really amazed. And also about diversity. My daughter is, you know, a beautiful young white girl. Those things don't affect her in the same way that they might a beautiful black girl. Yeah. But she really cares about it. She's mm -hmm. like, this is something that has to happen. And the fact that she does is so empowering and amazing and I feel really proud of myself and the world, really, that kids are learning that. Yeah. I'm really getting it and really caring about it. She's like, if you're a brand and you're not doing that now, you're not going to last. No. Because you have to. It's not a choice. That's a given. And you two do a lot to raise awareness now for domestic yeah. abuse. Yeah. Um, and it's only really in the last few years that you've actually started talking about it. I find it really fascinating because you're kind of doing it twofold. You're kind of helping the mums that are in the situation now and realising that that's not fine, that's not OK to be treated in that way. But you're also giving them hope for their children you know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, and, and actually watching the video that you guys made with your mum, yeah. she must be, you could just feel the pride from both sides. Like, you obviously feel so proud of your mum for everything that she's given you and done for you, but she must feel so much pride looking at all four of you and kind of seeing the lives that you've made for yourselves. The interesting thing about that video was we wanted to start this chat thing and we said, look, let's start it off with really laying ourselves out there and mm. telling people something about us that they don't know. So we asked mum and she was like, no, I don't want to do it. I was like, why not, mum? You're really going to help a lot of a lot of other women or men that are going through it. She said, because I'm, I'm ashamed. It's like, that's the whole reason you have yeah. to do it, mum. That there, what you've just said, is the reason you need to do this because so many other women will be ashamed and you can't be ashamed because it's not your fault. And she did it and was actually really pleased that she Good. did it and felt, I think, a little bit of a release from it. Yeah. Once you've lived with that as a child, you have a connection to every other child that's ever lived with it. Yeah. Because only they will get that, what that's like to live in that situation. It's actually set us up really well. We're probably really good makeup artists because of it, because you can go into any room and you can sense an atmosphere. You can sense what a person needs from you because mm -hmm. you're so used to going into a situation and thinking, what's the best way for me to be so I don't get attacked? How do I navigate this? What Absolutely. mood is dad in? It's, How... exactly, it's yeah. exactly that. So I get a lot of people email me that come from that background that are mm. like, yeah, it never leaves you. And it doesn't. But I had counselling last year and it made such an incredible difference to revisit all that stuff and look at my coping mechanisms that have come out of me. I spent all of my formative years watching my mum and dad's relationship and how I am in relationships is what I learned from that. Mm -hmm. So I've had to reprogram mm -hmm. because I can't have a successful relationship if I'm constantly in competition with with a man and trying to break him so that it makes me feel powerful. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. It's taken me until I'm 40, really, to finally feel like 
oh, I get it. Mm-hmm. It is interesting because I chose a husband or we chose each other that is extremely loving and we kiss in front of the kids and everything. We we make sure... Not that they, everything. Not everything. <laughs> that would be very wrong. A whole different scenario. But we make sure that they see love constantly. And I never, ever saw that. And I don't know whether that will make them better or not. I don't know if then they will go through life trying to find what mum and dad have. You know, they might not find that. I just know what I saw of my mum and dad wasn't right. And when we would go to other people's houses and their families got on, I'd be like, this is so weird around here. Your mum and dad, like, like each other. I don't understand it. And I don't want my kids to ever have to witness that. The other thing is kids will take something bad from whatever parenting experience you give them. There will be something that screws Mm -hmm. them up a little bit. We don't know what it is until they turn around and go, Mum, you were away for my sports day. Or Do you know what I mean? We can't possibly know. But you also can't constantly think about it and blame yourself. you just got to do the best you can do. That's that's what we're all trying to do. That's what every mum is trying to do. Mm. And dad. Every parent is just trying to do the best for their children because that's why you have them. And you just don't know what that's going to do, whether it's the right thing or the wrong thing. And I think that we breed so much competition with other parents and actually we should just be trying to support each other because it's bloody hard. None of us know whether we're doing it right or wrong. We're just fighting to get through the day and to hope that we make the right choices. Like, I don't lie to my kids at all. And sometimes they ask me really challenging questions and I have to not lie to them. My daughter... I can't remember where we were, but she had to come in this toilet cubicle for me and I had my period. And I'm normally like, Edie, turn <laughs> look around, away, look away, look away, yeah. look away. And she turned round as I was pulling out my tampon. <gasps> and she was like, what's that? What is that, Mum? And I was like, oh, God, I haven't even had time to think about my answer <laughs> to this. And I went, well, when mummies are mummies, sometimes they have a little bit of blood that comes from their bits yeah. not all the time just occasionally she's like oh okay because I'm so open with her yeah. she wasn't scared she wasn't bothered she just went okay I was like oh my god I hope I've answered that right I don't know I but I I've never lied to her so far she knows she came out of my scar in my belly and Harry came out of my bits they're both fine that's what they call it bits <laughs> the buzz told me the baby's coming out of my testicles the other day amazing like, You're so close <laughs> so close it's, it's so funny because they kept saying Kinda. to me yeah. they kept saying to me mummy how did I get out of you? Did you pull off your head and pop me out? <laughs> and I was like, no, you came out of my bits. And he was like, what? That must have hurt. I was like, it hurt a little bit, mate, a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, they don't think anything of it. They know. I think if you try to lie to them, they don't know how he got in there. <laughs> I haven't even worked at that bit out yet. I was asked that. Oh. I said something about a seed. Daddy yeah. gave me a special seed. seed. Yeah, no that's, the yeah. that's the one. That's the one. When they, they've said things, and I say, when you love someone, because now our nanny's pregnant, how did she get a baby in her? Do you just get an age and then it happens? I was like, did Daddy give her a seat? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not really. That's what you want. Honestly. There's <laughs> around school. My, My daddy, daddy has magic seat and he gives and he them to a lot of women. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, oh, you, who knows whether we're doing it wrong or right? 
One thing uh, that I have noticed that whenever you talk about your dad, usually you say our biological dad. Yes. yes. Because your stepdad, Brian, yeah. has obviously has such a massive impact on all of your lives. Yeah. And the way that you talk about him with such love yeah. is absolutely beautiful. What was it like when Brian came into your home? Because I think as a step parent as well, because we would call Debbie my stepmom, like, yeah. even though she came into the picture 10 years ago when we were all adults. What was it like seeing your mum in that loving relationship and having that positive force of energy? She doesn't show it. She was embarrassed to show affection and love. I felt it from her, but um, we didn't see it much, did we? No, and Brian was a bit more like a soulmate, you know. Yeah. He was like a person that was always there that she could nag quite a lot <laughs> and he'd just suck it up and yeah. do whatever she He's, needed him to do. Brian's passed away now, yeah. so um, unfortunately he was the most selfless, amazing man. But you could see that from yeah. the the way that it all affected all of you. Yeah. yeah. For that effect to come from a step-parent just it goes to was... show how important that role is. Yeah. He, and even he... though you would have all been a lot older at that point as well. He suffered a lot of brunt from us all. <laughs> no, he, he was the easiest person to pick on and torment. Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing, wasn't it, Nick? Yeah. Brian's so, so caring that I'd get home from work and he'd be like, all right, Nick, how was your day? Like really good, Brian. That's normally where people stop. But he can't do. He couldn't do silences at all, right? <laughs> so he'd have to fill every single silence, which would do, just do your brain in. So he'd say to me, "What did you do? I worked, Brian. What did you have for lunch? Be like, oh, I had a tuna salad. <laughs> Was it nice? Yes, Brian. And this would go on. Almost like when your kids come back from school and you're just trying to get information out of them. <laughs> it would go on about the most mundane thing for ages. So to make myself not get wound up by it because it would do my head in I'd come in I'd be like alright Brian what are you up to and I'd totally ask him all the same <laughs> questions I'd be like what have you done today he'd be like oh I've been on the computer I've done this what did you eat <laughs> you could see he'd be like she's because he wouldn't notice he like, she really cares yeah, he's really think, paying attention she's so nice <laughs> yeah. to me but I I learned to love that conversation yeah. like, it would happen every day and I love same it. conversation but he was so brilliant like we would have like a takeaway together wouldn't we yeah. we'd all sit around the table and me Nick and Jim and John would count how many times Brian chewed each bit of food because he would chew and chew and chew. Oh, no, he's not yeah. one of those 40, yes. 40 yes. chews. Yes. <laughs> he was 37 chews. No, ever. That's amazing. And I'd be like, Brian, you chewed that 37 times before you swallowed it. He'd be like, mm. And he'd just <laughs> smile and carry on. He would completely suck it up. We could be awful to him. We would have all finished, left the table, watching a film. He's still sitting there <laughs> eating his dinner. <laughs> We're like, we loved him. He was an amazing man. Yeah. And uh, we were very, very lucky to have him in our life for the time that we did because yeah. he made mum happy and he made us realise that men can be good because he was our first male role model, really, yeah. other than our dad, to realise that not all men are like that yeah. was a, a really lovely thing. Just goes to show that how important that role is and how special that role is. Absolutely. He was so brilliant that, like, on Mum and Brian's second date, he met Jim and John. How old would Jim and John have been then? Eight or nine. Oh, yeah. And he took them in his Vauxhall Vectra and they must have shaken up a bottle of Dr Pepper which literally exploded <laughs> all over his car and he was like, oh, don't worry, don't worry. He was so, it was oh, amazing. don't worry, don't worry. Like, just laid back. And that he didn't have kids of his own to welcome this big tribe that we came with was 
quite a big deal yeah. and he never once moaned. Like, no, no, fine. we would. whenever we went in there, first thing you do when you get to mum's, open the fridge, see what's in there. Not because I desperately want to eat anything, I just want to know if there's anything interesting in the fridge. Yeah. It's like a homely thing, isn't it? <laughs> do we, but sometimes we would, we'd just help ourselves with stuff. And that's all food that Brian's bought. Yeah, he, he like had it. no problem with it. So, yeah, he was amazing. Yeah. Back onto you two yeah. and being a mum and makeup. Yes. Actually, because I think whenever I give birth, I'm usually no makeup, hairs in a massive bun. And it goes back, I guess, to that thing of you feeling like you wanted to feel like you. Yeah. What did you do to feel more like you after giving birth in terms of makeup? Like, do you, do you think, like, for women, a bit of lipstick can help? Or is it, do you think it's really personal? I think even giving yourself time to do anything for yourself can really help. Just washing your hair. Just washing your hair. Having a bath. Oh, my God. Yeah. Those things that you literally can't do, you're like, oh, do I, baby's gone to sleep, do I wash my hair or do I put the milk on, get it ready, or do I, there's so much, I think you have to have a bit of time for yourself. Yeah. Whether it's a lipstick, whether it's going on a date night or something, but I do think it makes you feel back to your old self if you used to do a lot of, you know, you used to take time to do your makeup. Being a mum doesn't have to define you completely no. as just a mum. I mean, Pixie Woo was born out of what you do to make yourself feel better when you're pregnant because I was eight months pregnant when I started it mm. and the first video I did was, um, it was a smoky eye for someone, but the second video I did was because it made me feel better about me yeah. and I continued to do it after my child was born because of that reason. If I didn't film it, I probably wouldn't have put the makeup on. Mm-hmm. So it gave me an opportunity to feel like me again. And I also find it fascinating that both of you, obviously, beauty and makeup is a large part of what you do, but both of you look really just gorgeous and quite simple in the way that you do makeup. Like it's not plastered on. It makes me feel quite sad when I've... people are plastered. You kind of, what's under that? What are you trying yeah, to hide? Yeah, exactly. I agree, and I think that that's an aesthetic that's kind of grown on social media. It particularly makes me sad when it's children yeah. of my daughter's age because that's the time when you really don't need it yeah. quite often. And makeup is often about identifying yourself or making yourself feel the best about who you are, not fitting into a this is Kim Kardashian's face. Yeah. It's expressing you. Absolutely. Rather than someone else. For I sure, because it's... you can go into a situation and just from the makeup or the hair or the clothes that someone has on, you can tell the kind of music they're into or the kind of person that they are. And that's great. That's how you find your tribe. But if your look is all about this kind of creating perfection, which is not even a thing that exists, who are you? Yeah. Who exactly are you? Because we're just copying. It's, it's like a face by numbers, mm. colour by numbers, isn't it? It's just a weird thing. I think um, and actually doing Pixie Boo has made me realise this. It's as important to love yourself without makeup as with makeup. Yeah. You know, I went through a stage where, when I was younger where I wouldn't not wear makeup. Now I love not wearing makeup. And the fact that I enjoy not wearing it and I feel quite comfortable makes me love when I go out and I put it yeah. on and I'm like, ah. Now There's something I, this, quite liberating about it's, it. It's so powerful. It's it so is. incredibly powerful. I just sort of started, I use this term very loosely, I just started kind of dating this new guy and I did a photo shoot yesterday and the makeup artist did such a beautiful job. It was mm-hmm. lovely. So I turned up at his house looking like amazing and then within like, I don't know, 45 minutes, I was like, right, I'm going to take my makeup off now. So I just sat there and took my makeup off. I mean, he was in the room with me. I didn't do it in front of him kind of thing, but he was in there with me. And I just thought, I wonder if I would have done this X amount of years ago. But it certainly doesn't bother me to take my makeup off in front of someone because I 
still feel just as valid yeah. without it as I feel with it. I think for me, Instagram stories is a massive part of that. I used yeah. to hate it. I yeah. used to hate it. Although you obviously start your videos with no makeup on and then build up, but I used to hate the idea of seeing some people see me raw. And yeah. then actually, it's so liberating going, well, this is me. This yeah. is actually me. And so it doesn't matter if you bump into me in the street, this is what you're going to get. I think that's exactly true, that. but don't you certainly get to a certain age where you stop caring what other people think and that's the point yeah. where you feel completely liberated because I don't care. It doesn't matter anymore. You know, look, I've got this crazy dress on and these crazy boots on today. And you I, look beautiful. Well, thank you, but, you know, <laughs> Nick and I have now started living like sex in the city because if you buy all these clothes, yeah. you've got to wear them. What are you saving them for? Yeah. You know what I mean? So this is part of our new not worry about what other people think. I went out into the street the other day in a floor-length yellow ball gown and Converse, Converse really? trainers. Yeah, wore it all day. Got so many comments and I thought, well, why don't I do this more often? So now I just do it every I've day. I've only started doing it because she does it and I'm really? always wearing a tracksuit next to her and she's, people are like, wow, you look amazing. I'm like, oh, I really need to make some effort here. And, but, you know, I'm, I start all of my Instagrams. I show myself training, red, yeah. raw... It's, Do you think motherhood has kind of helped in that as well? Feeling like this is just me, I've got other bigger things. I think and... it has. It's part and parcel, but I do think a lot of it is just getting to that age. Yeah. I also think it's responsibility that the people that follow you to show them that you don't have to be that way. You know, the reason I got into makeup was to to help people feel a bit better at that point. But I also think it's so important to show that you don't just have to be makeup isn't going to help you inside yeah you know it's going to make you feel better for a little while but it's not I think it's so important to especially when I do my Instagram stories to not look like I've got tons of makeup on and perfect that's not how I am I mm. have blemishes and I look this way and I'm not embarrassed to show it and hopefully that's going to attract the people that I want to follow me mm. the real people that I know. think it's really important to show like imperfections you know we talk about Botox and things that we've had done because it's important for other people our age to know that the reality isn't that yeah. filtered photo yeah. that they see pop up in the feed all the time. Do you think also having daughters, you feel I, like Yeah, I do. I yeah, feel massive sense. Yeah. yeah, I don't lie to my kids at all. Really? Like, I'm completely honest about all of that stuff. Edie's really, really young, but she is so into makeup and stuff, and I don't know whether that's because I do it and she sees me do it, but she just loves it, and I want her to be confident. She doesn't. She will just wear a little bit of lip gloss occasionally, but I don't really let her wear it leaving the house. But she just enjoys it. Yeah. You know, she just loves that. Oh, that's pretty, mummy. I love that when she sees it on me. Oh, that's pretty. But she went through a stage where she would watch loads of drag makeup tutorials on online. Really. I, they'd come up on my feed, and she'd be like, "That's amazing, mummy. He looks so pretty. He's a she, mummy." I'm like, "Yes, darling." <laughs> she loves it. To her, it's not makeup; it's creativity. Yeah, and I think that's how they see it. Yeah. That's the thing, you know. I posted a picture of my daughter the other day, and she looks very stunning. And she has a red lipstick on. And there's a few comments about her wearing a red lipstick, and it's like, you know what? You're making it sexual. Yeah. She isn't. Yeah. She's just wearing a red lipstick because she likes the color red. Yeah. But you're seeing it as something else. Yeah. So maybe don't. Yeah. Maybe you know? it's your maybe, problem. Maybe yeah, don't. Not hers. Yeah. Exactly totally. that. <laughs> Uh, so I end each episode with uh, you finishing three sentences. Mm. Don't panic. Okay. Okay. Don't panic, OK? Being a mum means... Always putting someone else first. Oh, it does. That's a good one. Go on, you'll go. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> Being a mum means... Weirdly, it's given me a lot of freedom to be who I am. 
Mm. I don't know why, but when you said that, the first word that came to mind was freedom, even though in a lot of ways it isn't. It really is quite liberating. Yeah, and I totally see that. Weird, isn't it? The yeah. first word that came to my mind was freedom. Well, because I think it does that thing where it's don't sweat the small stuff. Exactly. It kind of lets you free of all that other stuff that's come before that's weighed you down. Absolutely. also means you don't have that pressure of people saying, when are you going to have kids? No, but then you have one, then when are you going to have another one? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Never ending. I'm done, I'm done. That job's done. <laughs> um, uh, since having children, I... Have learnt to love myself more. Value my life a lot more because I want to stay healthy and fit for them. I'm happy when... I'm at home with my kids on our own. My happiest time, and this happened the other day... And I wanted to put music on in the background, you know, like in a movie when you when there's the soundtrack to it. <laughs> my husband and my kids were sitting on the sofa and all belly laughing. In my mind, I was like, you can't get happier than this. Yeah, that's That's nice. my happiest moments. Those moments when I, when I feel like I'm a fly on the wall watching them Aww. just enjoy it. And, yeah. and oh, when I'm not there, it's fine. They're still loving and laughing and, and whatnot. Obviously, I like being there, but <laughs> they're my most happiest moments. Yeah. That's lovely. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. Hope you enjoyed it. We loved, loved it. it. Loved Good. And all the best with everything. Thanks very much. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, Headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications including botulinum toxins as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.